What's happening, Panda Nation? Peter Von Panda here. Hey, about a year ago, my friend Neil introduced me to a tactic to get really awesome deals on travel. And so I wanted to invite him on here to talk about how it works. In a world where anyone can have a podcast, Peter Von Panda is one of them. Rants are taken to a whole new level. This is the Peter Von Panda Podcast. A giant waste of time. And so I wanted to talk to you because I think the, the whole travel hack that you've introduced me to, which made my travel plans last year happen and on, I'm requiring points again and all that, I kind of want to get into, but I want to bury that lead almost a little bit because I'd love to kind of just back up before we start there and, and talk a little bit about the, the last few years on your FI journey. You know, and then how you got in there, maybe then dive into the travel hacks and, and those types of things. I think those are going to be fascinating to people. And uh, you're the expert on it. So, Neil, uh, I know we have been friends here for the last few years, and we are both kind of part of the financial independence community. And the whole financial independence movement is actually fairly new. You know, it's kind of burgeoning and, and there's some resources out there. But uh, I wanted to bring you on here because I know you have taken some amazing vacations you and your, your wife have gone to some amazing places, done some amazing travel. And I think as someone from the outside looking in on this, you know, your Instagram, Facebook, things that you share, man, you guys must be crushing it, putting away a bunch of money, saving a ton of money, finding these awesome places. It's probably very expensive nonetheless. And so I think as people that look on the outside and say, you know, how do you do that? Because everything, when we talk about finances, feels so tight. We're usually looking for, for deals and things like that, looking for, for travel and vacations. And I think it would surprise people to hear how much you really spend on vacation. So I'm, I'm going to hold that out there a little bit because I want you to share your life hacks on vacation and all that because it's absolutely fascinating and you opened my eyes to it and it's made all the difference in, in travel and in, in travel and vacations. I want to talk to you about that, but I think it's beneficial to back up a little bit and kind of talk about how you got there in, on that journey. So if we can back up maybe three or four years ago, you were doing all the right things. You were starting a family, you were managing your finances, you were putting some money away for the future. I think all, kind of all the things that we're taught to do. Can you tell me a little bit about what your life looked like in terms of the financial picture, maybe four or five years ago? Yeah, it, it's hard to even know where to start with this, uh, Peter. But um, basically, I, I really feel like it started with me meeting my wife. Because when I, when I met my wife and when things started getting serious between me and her, I really, and I've went back since to calculate this, and my net worth was pretty close to zero. Um, I had some savings because I, I always saved a little bit. I had some savings actually with Ally at the time, um, but I had a ton of student loans and a car loan. And it really was, it was really when I met her and I just got to hear her perspective on money that a whole new world started to open up to me that money could potentially create these opportunities. And there was, there's so many different places I could go from there. So 
I'll let you direct. Yeah. And so you guys are out there working. And I think, you know, both of you are fiscally minded. That's just the starting point. Now, fast forward a little bit in that picture. You know, we connect, you know, I think we start talking around 2017. We get introduced to each other and you've got some goals and things that you want to, you want to pursue. At that time, do you, do you, do you know what you wanted to do? I, you know, and I don't call specifically, but, you know, I think you were already homeowners. I might've been saving more or, or cutting out expenses. You know, that kind of sticks with me a little bit that you were really looking like, what, what kind of deals can I get? Kind of the expense side of things, you know, car, groceries, and those types of things. Is, is that kind of what you recall um, wanting to focus on around then? It was sometime in the first half of 2017 that I met Peter, which I, I would love to know more the exact month or day, because that is definitely one of the largest days of my life would, would have been meeting <laughs> you, because it really did direct my mind towards a whole new world as well. Um, I kind of said that that one huge um, breaking point was meeting my wife and realizing, wow, we could potentially have extra money here. And then when I met you, it was, oh, right, this is what I could actually do with that money, like what the strategy would actually be. Because really, there, there were a lot of ways that through different podcasts that I learned to optimize our savings a little bit more. But mm-hmm. my wife is has pretty much been killing the whole savings thing since she was born. I mean, she just is so much more of the choose FI character, Brad. She just, just doesn't spend. She just doesn't. And so as you're kind of going through this, you ended up going in and connecting into a bunch of podcasts, starting to follow them, listen to them. You know, what were some of those podcasts that you listened to then, or maybe still listen to now? It would have been in the middle of the year of 2017 that uh, you introduced me to the Clark Howard podcast. And then later, the Choose FI podcast. I was not content with just the Clark Howard podcast. I, I, needed, I needed more. And, and I came back again to, to you, and you uh, gave me that information. And well, that really, that's when things really started to heat up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I think a lot of people think about it cutting on the expense side. And that's really where I discovered Clark Carver too, whether it was cable deals or renting cars or whatever, because he does a lot on how to get the best deal. And I remember reading one of his first books, I think, Living Large and Lean Times, which I think was written in the previous recession, you know, uh, not the one that we will probably be going through now, depending on when you're watching this. But so I took a lot away from that, and he has a lot of life hacks on the expense side. But then you started implementing that and then just wanted to go down this rabbit hole. And I don't know exactly what confluence of all that information was for you, but ultimately and eventually you get to this place where you are starting to be able to hack vacations. And you were giving me some credit here, you know, let's call it 2017, 2018. But I think we connected in maybe 2018 or, you know, maybe it was 2019, maybe last year at some point. And for me, the big change is you serving me up with just a bunch of information. And at first, you know, the the information you're telling me seems a little like, does that work? Could that possibly work? And you give me some direct links and I start diving into it. And that next summer, I take a vacation for free, right? Um, And it's one of these things, and I want to ask you about it, because I think when we're talking about saving, you know, and putting more money away for some of those things, we often think about um, the stuff that we don't want to get rid of, right? And everyone really wants to take a vacation, and those can be very expensive. And I saw an average stat, I think the average person spends like 1700 bucks a year. If you think about that number, it's like over $100 a month that you really have to put into your budget, so that you can get that a typical vacation, if it's 1700 and let's call it 
a couple thousand if you're a couple, maybe more if you're a family. That's not an insignificant slice to those monthly expenses. And so when we talk about money being tight, it can be really tough to say, hey, I want to do this vacation, but where does that fall in my budget? Because I think a lot of people end up not being able to make that happen for one month. And then it's easy not to have it happen for the second month. And then you get to that vacation, you're taking it, and that becomes debt on a credit card or something like that at that point. But you found a way here where, yes, maybe you'd still budget money for it. Maybe everything's not covered, but you have taken some awesome vacations at extraordinary deals. First of all, before we get into the how, can you tell me a little bit about where you guys have gone over the last few years on vacations? Because I'm not talking about like the local water parks and, and state parks and hacking it with really low cost trips. You have gone to some really awesome places overseas and, and other places. Where, where, where have you guys gone? Uh, so recently, uh, we've went to uh, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Savannah, Myrtle Beach, Chesapeake, Annex City. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, and then we were going to go to Florida and Arizona this year. Awesome. You know, and what is what do your friends and family say when they see you doing these trips and taking these vacations and living this lifestyle? Are, are they at all worried about you, you know, and your finances and say, you know, how do you, can you afford this? Or, you know, how are you budgeting that in? Or, you know, do they think maybe you're increasing your debt load by going on these places? You know, has anyone ever commented? Because you go some to some really, really awesome places, places I've never even been. Yeah, I, I think that they're not sure what's going on. Okay. Uh, you know, because finances is one of those things you don't often talk about, and I'd love to talk about it with them, and I just want to keep pushing into these things until eventually they start asking more questions because I would love I love talking about finance and, and financial independence, but I think that they don't really know what to think because on one side, we have a very average-sized house, a very reasonable house, we drive very reasonable cars, but yet we can pretty much go on vacation whenever we want. So I don't think that they really understand what they, they don't know if we're poor and we're in debt or if, if we're rich. And the crazy thing is, is our lifestyle probably to many does look very luxurious. We do go on a lot of vacations. We go out to eat a lot. We buy things that we want but we're actually living on less than half of our income. So <laughs> if we actually <laughs> started spending our income, it, people would be really confused. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and it's probably worth saying, right? You just make a ton of money. So it's really easy for you to say you live on half your income because you're just way outside the norm in terms of your careers and the income that you produce, right? Yeah, probably not. I, I would say that we make very average incomes, uh, maybe a little bit higher this last year, but I would say we make pretty close to average incomes uh, for sure. So, okay. So you have average incomes, you live for, you know, pretty, pretty average. A lot of people would say, Hey, you know, I know how he's doing it. He's putting on a credit card. He's taking a loan, whatever. They're not doing retirement. You know, I'm not their mama. So whatever they want to do is fine, but you're, you're living all this life. You've got this awesome savings rate. It just blows people's minds. I think in some cases where you can say, Hey, my savings rate is 50%, right? You, and in, in, in many ways, that's a, that's a magic number because you have your two-income family. So if you lost an income, all of a sudden you still can get by, right, during those periods of time. It's a really great place to be. Tell me a little bit about what you spend to have all of these various vacations because obviously, you know, you're going to have to get there. You're going to have to stay there. You're going to have to eat there. You're going to have to do some things. And I know, you know, I see some of these pictures, right? You are not... Uh, staying in hostels, you're staying at resorts, you're, you're going to all the, the famous landmarks. 
what is it costing you to do all of these awesome trips? So when we went to Savannah and Myrtle Beach, that was for $977. And this is an excellent vacation. We're going out to eat all the time. We're staying at top resorts right on the beach. This year we went to Puerto Rico. We stayed at a amazing resort, pools, restaurants. We went all over the island in a rental car. That was $1,300 is what we spent on that whole trip. Uh, Jamaica, that was, we were staying at the top, one of the top resorts in Jamaica. We stayed at a beautiful Airbnb for half the week as well, overlooking the whole island. That was probably pretty close to $1,000 for that trip for a week. So it's crazy because you are having these massive experiences. You are spending way less than the average person on vacation. So let's cut to the chase here. What is the key to being able to get this travel into your life without putting away just a ton of extra money? And how do you keep the out-of-pocket spend so low to have all of these experiences? Yeah, mainly it's accumulating points or miles. And how you do that is you open up credit cards um, that are associated with different, different hotels or different airlines or different programs where you get these points. And it's, it's basically how you get most of these points is your everyday spending. But the best way is through these bonuses. These credit card companies know that a lot of people are going to sign up for the credit card. They're going to go into debt and the credit card company is going to make lots of money. So they want you to sign up for a credit card. So they'll give you 100,000 points or 50,000 points, which often equates to two free nights or three free nights or four free nights or sometimes even 10 or 20 free nights um, at amazing resorts just for signing up for a credit card. Awesome. So let's dissect the credit card discussion a little bit, because I think when you and I first connected in this and you were explaining it to me, you know, I had thought about credit cards in one way, and there's really two ways to get points, right? So when I thought about points on credit cards, it was about spending money and getting points as I spend that money, which is a valid way to get points, right? But what ends up happening is that you are accumulating points that you can translate into rewards. That's just a small percentage of what you're actually spending. You know, and some people will take that as a cash back or whatever. And so when you were first explaining to me, I'm thinking, well, let's say it's a it's a 2% rewards. I'm going to have to spend $100,000 this year on a credit card to get a $2,000 reward. That doesn't seem like it's a good value to me. But that's really not where the value is in this, right? It's in the second piece, the bonuses. And what... I think a lot of us, me in particular, you know, just conventional people, you see these numbers out there, these bonus numbers, and they don't really mean a lot. We're so conditioned, I think, that bonuses are like these inflated numbers. What does that translate into? So can you explain a little bit about uh, some examples of credit cards that will give you bonuses and kind of what that is the equivalent to? Yeah. So my favorite is I'm a little bit biased because you know, there's so many of these different programs. I particularly, what one that works very well for me is Hyatt. I get a very high value on Hyatt points specifically. So Chase, which is really the leading program um, in travel rewards, Chase has a dozen cards out there. Chase Bank offers their own cards, but they also offer a Hyatt specific card. That's one of my favorite, the Hyatt card. It does come with an annual fee so that all of a sudden some people are like, wait, 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 you said it was going to be free. But hold up, it's I think a $95 one time a year fee. And with that fee, you automatically get a free night at any Hyatt. 
category one through four. So you're already getting a resort or a hotel that costs three or maybe four, or if you go in the summer, maybe $500 a night for this $95 fee. So instantly, I don't care about the annual fee because I'm getting more value than that already. And with that particular card, it's pretty, pretty much an average card. Most cards, you get about 50,000 point bonus for, for, for signing up. But this card's a little bit different. It breaks it down into two different subcategories. So it, they give you two different $25,000 bonuses. Um, I don't want to get too technical here, but the first bonus is for a three th the first $3,000 spend, and then the second bonus is for the next $3,000 spend. Hmm. So you do have to spend $3,000 in the first three months, and then another $3,000 in the next three months. So you're spending $6,000 um, of normal spending that you can pay off each month, and then you're rewarded for spending that $6,000 with a 50,000 point bonus in addition to receiving points for that spend. So if you spend 6,000 in that first month, for example, and just get it over with, you're gonna get 56,000 points. Now, just to give you an idea, what, what is 56,000 points? It seems like a lot of points. Uh, we stayed at a beautiful resort uh, down in Puerto Rico. It was awesome. Had pools, had beautiful beaches, huge room that you got to yourself with rain shower, lots of great amenities on site. That was 12,000 points a night for that beautiful resort. So if I do some simple math and I take those 12,000 points a night, we multiply it by five, that's 60,000 points. So for spending about 10 grand on that card, you can stay at this beautiful resort for five nights. And that's just one card. Um, I've opened many. <laughs> so, <laughs> you and me both. So to, to recap here, we're talking about $3,000 spent over a three-month period and then another $3,000 over another three-month period. That sounds pretty typical of kind of the structure because the points, these bonus points are given to you after you meet some thresholds. Now, in most cases, I think the average American household has something like $40,000 of expenses each year. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they can all be charged to a credit card, but if you think about having a thousand or two thousand dollars a month in expenses anyway, that you put your cell phone on and your cable, your groceries and all that, it's not that we're incenting you to spend more. We're just incenting you to move your spending to this particular card because as you said, really the incentive for the financial institutions is, hey, if we can collect that spending, because many people carry a credit card balance, the average family is eight or nine thousand dollars in credit card balance, we can collect that interest. And so for people like you and me that pay off our balance at the end of each month, right, we're getting those bonus points really free. To me, it almost does not matter what the annual APR is or anything like that, because I'm, I'm certainly going to try to avoid incurring any interest. And so it's not just happening at one point. And it's interesting, I do recall in my Chase one, when I hit that, it was really interesting that it said like penning points and all that sudden those points exploded that said it would be available on the next statement. So it's, it's almost a little surreal because you know it's supposed to work. But I think for me, I'm so skeptical of getting what's owed to me that you're like, oh, I'm going to have to call someone and they're going to be like, well, you didn't read the fine print. But it was really just spend normally on my credit card and everything worked. You know, and I think it's fairly well established that people do this. And so it's a really simple simple way to do it. And I think, as you were mentioning, one of the keys is to take a look at that program and say, hey, what do these points translate to? And a lot, a lot of uh, these sites will have reward sites, right, where you can kind of go and get an idea of what these rewards uh, translate to. Now, so you've talked about hotels, because now all of a sudden, 
you sign up for this Hyatt credit card and it's like you've gotten this free week at the resort. So lodging is always one piece of the vacation puzzle. What about getting there? What about travel, say airfare? Is there a way for people to get that component uh, partially taken care of as well? Definitely. Yeah, there's just like there's the hotel standpoint, there's also the airline standpoints and all the major airlines have credit cards for that too. And before I go into that, I wanted to mention to your previous point, um, Peter, about that what I often encourage people to do when they're getting started with this travel hacking is to look at what do you normally use to travel? So if you're somebody who already travels, you know, what is the nearest airport to your house? What is the hub of the, what airlines do you fly with normally? You know, I live near Philadelphia, so I'm biased towards American Airlines because most of our flights are American Airlines with Philadelphia. So American Airlines has a credit card. You know, maybe you live near a Southwest airport or a United airport or an, all the airlines have credit cards, all the major ones, I'm sure. So it's just a matter of seeing what flights you normally would take and signing up for a card with that. Um, and each program is different with, with how you utilize the, the miles for flying. I, I, I typically kind of like I have a bias towards Hyatt because that's where I see the, the best value. So I'm kind of more of a Hyatt specialist. Um, I also am a little bit of the expert on the American Airlines as well because I've used American Airlines points because Southwest or United points wouldn't really, wouldn't really help me, for example, uh, because there's just not a lot of flights out of Philadelphia with those. Yeah, great point. Yeah, for me here in Chicago, it's United. And then because when I was traveling for work, I was, we were basically put up in Marriott's, you know, so I was already accumulating some points there that I really didn't even think about. And both of those have their own programs. And so, you know, lots of specifics there, but a uh, great point in kind of finding out and, and starting in that spot too. It doesn't necessarily mean that I haven't been tempted by Delta's incentives as well. You know, they're not necessarily a, a hub here in Chicago, but they do fly out of here. And so there are a lot of programs that even when you kind of check off the boxes for the ones that are really local to you, you know, you can start looking at some of these more ancillary things and, and uh, you know, get some value out of those as well. So now we've got, you know, hotels and, and, and other pro hotel programs, like I mentioned, Marriott and some of the other ones and uh, Wyndham. And, you know, I, and I think there are a bunch of them, you know, we'll have some of the programs and incentives on that too. Hilton's but, another big one, Hilton. Yep. Absolutely. And now you were mentioning American Airlines. So is there a way to apply the strategy, say, to American Airlines? Yeah. So it's the same thing with, with, um, with hotel or as hotel credit cards. It's the same thing with airlines credit cards. You can open up an airline credit card and they'll often give you somewhere around 50,000 miles uh, for, for opening a card. I, I think when I opened my card with American Airlines, I believe it was 60,000 at a time. So they do vary the bonus. Sometimes they'll, they'll give you a little bit of a larger bonus. They, they might be given some really big bonuses in a couple of months here because um, right now they really want people to travel. So maybe we'll see some 100,000 or, or point bonuses. So yeah, so I opened up the American Airlines credit card and it came with, I think I had to spend $3,000 in three months. And then I got a 60,000 point bonus. So at the end of that, I was somewhere around, I think, 63,000 points. And I actually used some of those points to book a flight to Jamaica. And so I booked a flight round trip from Philadelphia to Montego Bay, Jamaica for me and my wife. And I want to say it was around 40,000 points. So I still have a lot of points left from that, but it was a pretty much a free flight. Uh, we did have to pay the taxes and fees, which I think were $5.60 each. 
So unfortunately it wasn't free. It was a little steep, like $12 for that round trip flight, but we just had to pay that. I think it's a, a worthwhile trade-off. So let's, let's use that one as an example here. Let's say you fly to Jamaica round trip, two people, there's really four legs to this trip and it's 40,000 points. So each leg, each one way leg is about 10,000 points. How do you figure out what you can get? And then, and does that vary? Does, does the amount that you have to redeem for flights uh, vary by the trip? It does. It, it, it really does. And every airline point, uh, point system is so different. How American Airlines does theirs is they have like almost like different categories of, of distances and then they, they have different amount of points for that. So it's a little, so it could really vary. You know, you could look on, you have to be flexible with airline miles. And that's why I like the Hyatt hotel miles so much better, our points, because they're, they're a little bit more uh, flexible. But for airline miles, you know, you just have to go where the good deal is if you want to get a really good redemption. For example, if, you know, that same trip to Jamaica, if I would have wanted to go in the summer and fly during a really busy time, maybe, I don't know, like a, a Friday to a Monday or something like that, it might have been 100,000 points for that same round trip for me and my wife. You know, it, it's, you have to look at where the supply and the demand is and you have to find the good deals, you know. For example, I was looking at American Airlines uh, points flights through their American Advantage, I think it's a program is what they call it for direct flights from Philadelphia to Orlando. And they were actually having some web specials that were as low as 3000 miles mm. for a one-way flight. But then there were some of the exact same flights on different days that were like 20,000 for, for just a one-way one person flight. And it's like 20,000 points would be a ridiculous amount for a short flight from Philadelphia to Orlando. Um, but I mean, 3000 points. I mean, that's, that's really, really low. I mean, my goodness, you could do that flight 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think one of, you know, my top tips would be to look what the redemption is in points and also look at what it would be if you were to buy it in cash. Because I know on the United yeah. site, you when you're logging in and looking for tickets, it'll say, are you using redemption points or are you trying to buy it? And I would always recommend going through that process if you're looking at a trip on both. Because what I've noticed is that sometimes the point redemption stays the same regardless of what the actual ticket price is. And I wouldn't be surprised that now in the near future, some of these tickets are so cheap that it's actually, even though you could get it for free, you might be better off actually paying for it and, and holding off on those points redemption until the value shoots up. Because what I noticed is on one trip, and I was going to use some points, is that uh, the round trip if I broke it up into two one-way trips, the outbound, the one going out, and I think it was Chicago to San Diego, was like $360. But coming back, it was $120. And so my points were worth basically twice or almost three times as much on that outbound flight. And it was actually better for me to redeem the 12,000 points, I think, for the outbound flight and just pay the cash for my return flight because then I could hold those off hold those points back for another trip where I was getting more value on it. And, you know, you can kind of make those, those decisions on each individual flight. But I think, you know, one of the things that I, I learned was don't just redeem the points because you can, you know, you might want to take a, a close look and see where are there good deals. Yeah. Sometimes uh, a good rule of thumb is for any point system or miles um, for travel rewards is to do like, 
I think it's two cents per per point, I believe. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to get at least two cents per point for that travel because if not, you know, you're not you're not getting that good of a deal. Like a typical flight from Philadelphia to Florida might cost about a hundred dollars. So, you know, you don't want to be you don't want to be getting that that flight for ten thousand points. You'd want it to be closer to, you know, 5,000 or less. Yeah. And, and the, another thing that I've heard too, and, you know, I haven't necessarily tried this myself, but I've heard that, especially if you're traveling kind of last minute and usually the prices go up, that sometimes the point redemption stays the same, that they get maxed out at, you know, 30,000 points for a trip. So in some cases, if you're traveling last minute, it might be worth redeeming the points because otherwise you would pay maybe twice as much as you would have if you had bought the ticket a few weeks back. So it's always nice to double check um, and give yourself some options there, but it's always nice to have those points in the hopper because if you can use them, man, that's a great way, like you said, just to pay for out of pocket the taxes. So uh, we've kind of talked about two pieces of the credit card puzzle here. One, the points that you'll just get from your normal spend, which don't add up to a lot. If I mean, if you're spending a lot and you have a small business or something like that, that's one way. But two, really the kicker here is the bonus that you get once you meet these thresholds. But there is, the reveal here, I think a third way to get points, and that is referring these credit cards out to other people, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. So there, like we spoke before, the bonus is where you get the most points, typically somewhere around 50,000 points or miles for a credit card, but some are higher. Some are maybe 100,000. Some are lower. Maybe they're closer to 30 or 40,000, but you, you want to get at least 50,000 there. Then your normal spending where, you know, let's say you put $10,000 a year on a credit card that gives you another 10,000 points, or sometimes they have bonus categories where you might get five points per dollar spent. But then the, another great way to get more points is to refer these credit cards, including referring them to your spouse is another great way to get these bonus. So a lot of the, the top um, cards do have referral bonuses. Chase is, is a leading uh, provider in this as well. So for example, Chase Business Preferred, uh, Sapphire Preferred credit card, which is like their top one. I believe right now that bonus is 100,000 points mm -hmm. and those do transfer directly to Hyatt. So that'd be 100,000. <laughs> that'd be a lot of nights in Puerto Rico. Yeah, that card comes with a 20,000 point referral bonus. So if you opened up the Chase Business Inc. Preferred card, and you got your 100,000 point bonus, and then you referred, let's say I referred my wife, she would also get a 100,000 point bonus, and then I would get an additional 20,000 point bonus from that referral. So in that situation where I open that card, my wife opens that card, and I refer her to that card, we're already at 220,000 points. Before, and then of course they're spending to reach that bonus, so you're at even more points. But I mean, 220,000 points. Just to give you a quick illustration, if I divide that by 12,000, at that amazing resort I stayed at in Puerto Rico, I could stay at for over 18 nights just from opening those two cards with that one referral. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So you refer me, you send me a link, which then I can Business apply for. Preferred, yeah. yeah. And I apply for that. And then once I meet the criteria, I, as I mentioned, I get this points. It shows me all these points. But then once I meet that criteria, you get those points also in your account, right? And and so those were 20 or 25,000 bonus points, right? And then I was getting my spend on that as well. And then, of course, and you told me 
as you mentioned, refer my wife. So I refer her to just another Chase card. She applies, gets it, but I get some referral bonus points. She gets her bonus incentive points. And as you mentioned, even though we connect here in the spring, by the summertime, I have over 200,000 points to redeem for a vacation. So this is not something that, you know, I'm going to start at the beginning of the year and it's going to be for the following summer. This all happens within a few months. And for the first time, I'm going to these reward sites and looking at these travel opportunities and these resorts. And in, in Chase's uh, case too, I can transfer these points, but they also have their own redemption site with their, their own incentives, some products, you know, some travel and, and hotels. And they had a really good deal on a hotel, which I, which I grabbed. Now, this all sounds good, Neil. <laughs> but it's a one and done, right? I'm gonna apply for this credit card. My wife's gonna apply for this credit card. Awesome, this year we had this amazing travel. It cost us very little out of pocket, but can't continue on. How many credit cards does a person need? How many credit cards could a person get, right? Won't my credit report not support this and all, and all these other things? So what, what, what do you say to that? Is this a one and done scenario? It's gonna get you your vacation next summer, but you know, after that, just start putting money in your budget for vacation? So you could definitely do that. You could do one and done. And that's how I usually encourage people to start with the travel awards because they're very skeptical. You know, why do, why would I want to open up a bunch of cards and do all this free travel, which I'm about to speak of, but start with one card. You know, you can start with one card, open up that card, get a free travel, and then you could stop there and you could say, I don't want to open up any more cards. Like I'm too nervous about that. But there are tens of thousands of people that have been doing this for a very long time, much longer than I have. And some of these people have a hundred cards. I know another person, I think he has three or 400 credit cards and his credit score is fine. You know, if you are making your payments on time, if you are keeping your utilization low, which of course, the more credit cards you open, the lower utilization you're going to have, but it's not going to affect your credit. There's, you know, you can have, a hundred of these credit cards open and it's actually not going to hurt you. It's scary to think about why would I want to open all these cards? I understand. I I felt the same way, but now I'm at the point where I'm about two years into this. I have maybe 10 travel credit cards that I've opened. My wife has about five that she's opened. We have, you know, we probably accumulate over a million points already. For me, there's no point in stopping because it, like I said, if you do your research, you can look into it. You can talk to people that have a lot more credit cards than I have, who've been doing this for a lot longer than I have. If you research how credit actually works and how that credit score works, opening up additional credit cards does not hurt your credit. And so what you're doing is say the end of the year comes around or whenever the the cycle ends for you, you're looking and, and keeping an eye on what the incentives are and the bonuses and then opening up a new credit card and kind of going through this process again, because as you mentioned, you haven't gone on just one trip. You have gone on trip after trip after trip year after year here, right? Maybe on some trips that you never thought you'd take, you haven't been saddled with debt because is one of the keys here is that you're not changing your lifestyle, right? You're using what you're already doing to get the advantage that these credit cards are offering you, but you're not necessarily spending more, right? I think the temptation is maybe if you have the credit uh, to spend more, but you're just kind of doing everything that you normally would do, except either getting a better vacation experience or paying less out of pocket for the vacation experience that you would have paid for anyway, or maybe both. But I think that's really the big key here for me is that 
I haven't had to change anything. The spending thresholds for the bonus have been low enough that I haven't had to go out and spend additional money to make that happen. It's, I've been able to do that with my regular spending or, or very close to it. And I think this is where I was worried about it. You know, hey, hits to the credit score because of credit check impacts, right? And those types of things. But I still maintain over 800 on my credit score and I have as many credit cards as anyone ever has, I think. That was one myth that I was worried about, you know, when I first started. And um, it definitely, I, I, it was overblown. And I would also say that, you know, this is me and my soapbox, what is the credit score really? You know, uh, it's the ability to get new credit. And if you're judicious with it, um, I think people sometimes obsess about, hey, it moved up 10 points or down 17 or up three. Um, what you want to stay is in, like I say, a good, good credit score range if you can. And I wouldn't, continue to obsess about the micro movements. Lots of things can affect that. You mentioned a little bit about the annual fee. Well, a lot of these credit cards will have that. Will many of them offer you something, even if they have an annual fee? Like you mentioned, uh, the Hyatt one gives you a free night, which which can offset that fee. But you know, how much should people look at those annual fees as well when they're looking at these cards? Yeah, you have to look at that. You know, when you're researching and considering opening a card, um, I think it's important to look at the annual fee and look at what benefits you get with that annual fee. I think American Express has a card with a, like a $650 annual fee, but it comes with like free lounge access and different airports. It comes with, I think, a $200 like Uber or Lyft credit. You know, if you're somebody who's flying every day for work and things like that, and you could get free buffets and drinks or, or a, a room to shower in at the airport or a bed to sleep on, if you're getting those lounge accesses, maybe $650 annual fee would pay for itself. For me, it wouldn't. I only fly three times a year, maybe maybe four times. Eventually, we'll probably be flying more because we're just accumulating a ridiculous amount of points. But I'm not somebody who travels every single month, so I probably wouldn't, I didn't open up that card. There's plenty of travel credit cards that have no annual fee at all. They're just free. The Hyatt card, which is, is the one that's the most used to me, that one has about a $95 annual fee, I believe. Uh, most of the annual fees in general are somewhere between $95 and $125, but it just depends what you're getting. A lot of the hotel cards will give you a free night. The American Airlines credit card, who I think is through City, that gives you free check bags for domestic flights, so up to six. So if you're somebody who flies regularly domestically on American Airlines, well, isn't it $25 or so dollars a bag to check it in? So you could save that money in a very quick amount of time. Um, I didn't actually want to pay the American Airlines uh, yearly fee. I believe they waived it for the first year. A lot of these yearly fees are waived for the first year because they understand they don't want, they, they want to lure you in with that big bonus. They don't want to be charging you an annual fee. What they want you to do is forget about it and then they'll charge you the annual fee every year and you'll forget and not use this credit card for 10 years. But the American Airlines card, I got that 60,000 mile bonus. I marked it on my calendar. 12 months came up and I said, you know what? It's not worth it. We, we don't check in bags anymore. There weren't really any other benefits that really appealed to me. I, th I think you could, there were some other small benefits like you could earn more points and this and that. I think you got like 10 points per dollar spent on American Airlines flights, like things like that, that didn't appeal to me. So I actually just, just closed the card and didn't have to pay the annual fee. My American Airlines points are good for 24 months, so I don't have to use them for the next 24 months. 
And then with any activity on that account, they once again will not expire for 24 months. So I actually had used them for a flight to Florida in May. And then that flight I had to cancel and they gave me my points back because of the coronavirus. And now I have another 24 months to use those points. Some of the chase points, which are a little bit more flexible, chase points can be used at airlines as well as hotels. Hyatt being one of the travel partners, so I like Chase. A lot of their cards have about a $100 annual fee, and I do have to keep one of those cards because to be able to transfer those to partners and to use those on the Chase travel portal, you need one of the annual fee cards. So I'm willing to pay around $100 a year to have that one account so I can continue applying for other travel rewards credit cards within Chase that don't have annual fees and still collect those 50,000 point bonuses. But yeah, every, every single one's different. Chase has a card too that has like a $500 annual fee. And I know people that they really get their money's worth out of that because it has lounge access and it has car rental insurance. A lot of the, almost all the annual fee cards, no matter what company, it's gonna have some type of additional primary rental car insurance, which is very valuable to a lot of people. Use just using that one time could make it worth it. You don't have to worry about getting insurance when you rent a car if you do that often. But there's so many unique benefits it, and, and there's thousands of these cards out there. You'd have to research a specific one to, to check it out and to see what the benefits are on that card. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think one of the things that you mentioned yeah, that's key there is that just take a look at it because I think in the previous world, prior to connecting with you on this, my assumption was always, oh, annual fees are bad. They're just a collection of money. But there are these benefits that come with them. And I think the one I was looking at, I don't have it in front of me, but it was like the Chase World Explorer card or something like that because it has a really nice bonus, but it has a larger annual fee, but it includes checked bags, priority boarding, and lounge access for the year. And when I look at that, you know, and if I had just dismissed it saying that's not worth it, but if I look back, you know, when I travel for work or for pleasure, and part of the irony is you do some of this, now all of a sudden you're traveling a little bit more than we were in past years because now it's easier to grab that last minute flight, go to somewhere we would maybe not spend our own money on, you know, uh, maybe some domestic trips or some places that we wouldn't actually even discover if it weren't for some of these rewards programs and say, hey, you know, what are we really spending on food and drinks when we have those layovers in that airport? What are we really spending in downtime and not being productive or not having a quiet place to recharge our phones or whatever it might be? And airports are notoriously expensive for everything. And so I think sometimes we undersell that because I have easily bought like $17 turkey sandwiches off the grab and go cart. Right. And now if you have access to food and uh, the lounge and things like that, and, and really where it's set in one day is weather, you know, so um, I was snowed in in Denver for a while and having access to the lounge was awesome because it ended up being something like a 12 hour delay. And, and, and in that case, they weren't even letting people buy into the lounge. So sometimes you can buy lounge access for a day or a day pass, but they weren't even allowing that because of so many people that were, that were there. So I, I don't know that it always makes sense. And I don't know that it makes sense a lot of the times, but if you just at least look at what they're giving you. One of the things I wanted to ask you here is, this seems like a lot of work. It seems like a lot of effort. You know, most of us are not experts on this like you are. And so it's not necessarily second nature. So, but I think a lot of people will listen to this and say, hey, you know, it's just too much work. It's too much effort. I'll just budget for traveling and, and vacation and those types of things. What would you say to that? You know, is this, is this a, a lot of work? Is there a lot of minutia and detail in this? Or is this something you, know, you think anyone could do? 
I think definitely anybody could do. I didn't know anything about this when I first started. And like I said, start simple, you know? I, I think I waited two months before, what once I heard about this, before I got started. And at least, at least I didn't wait two years, you know? <laughs> but I think I was afraid to start because I was hearing all the information at once, probably like right now you're hearing. And I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna have to open up 100 credit cards. I'm gonna have to figure out, you know, Delta and American Airlines and United and Hyatt and Hilton and and then there's Chase and then there's City and there, there's all these different banks that give points and it was too confusing. But it's like, you know, just simplify it. Just start with one. You know, just start with one one company. You know, the Chase is a great program. You know, maybe just research that a little bit and look into that and just try opening just one card. You know, just open one card of a program that you know that you already use, maybe you already travel a lot with Marriott or you already travel a lot with Hilton or Hyatt, or uh, maybe you already fly a lot with American Airlines or United or Delta or Southwest, you know, and just focus on that one program and just look at how that one program could help you. You know, just, just by simply getting free Southwest flights could save you a lot of money on your vacation. Don't worry about changing anything else. Just, just enjoy getting a free flight every year or maybe 10 free flights every year, you know? Um, it doesn't have to be a, a whole lot. You know, there are a lot of other details in the program. If you, if you just start simple, I think it's a lot less overwhelming and it's a lot easier because if you start opening up five credit cards this year with annual fees, well, that, that could be $600 in annual fees. You know, you don't want to be paying that. And then, then you have to start closing these cards and then you, you know, so I think it's just easier just to start with maybe just opening up one card and maybe even just keeping in your mind and saying, this is the only card I'm opening this year. I'm not going to open up another card until next year. And then maybe you get your feet wet and you like what that first card gave you. And then maybe the next year you open up too. I think that's a lot less overwhelming than opening up a new card every second or third month. And I'd also, you know, warn you that I, I know that there are some extreme travel hackers out there that do all these calculations and they're opening up a new card every 45th day or something like that. But I personally wouldn't encourage anybody to open up more than like maybe five cards a year per person, uh, maybe even four, you know, because you don't need to open them all up right away. And it, it just seems like there might be too much going on if you're opening up all those cards, you know, just, just start with opening up one or two and, and see where it goes from there. And there was another aspect of travel hacking I wanted, to, I wanted to bring up as well before we move on from this conversation at some point, Peter. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I think it's, you, you make a great point, right? Just start small, pick something, maybe it's something that you use most often, you know, maybe it's the airline in your area, the hotel that you like, maybe you're going somewhere, you've got a vacation already planned and you are going to go to uh, this location and you are planning on staying at the Marriott or the Hyatt or the Wyndham or whatever it might be and see if you can get the card for that and see if you can accumulate those points before you get there and, and book it through that too. So I think I like the idea of just uh, compressing it down to one. The other thing I would throw in here too is it's almost a rookie mistake to open multiples at this point because of those bonus period requirements where you have to put your spend in in a certain period of time. If you open up even two or three, you might not have enough spend to satisfy the requirement for all those. So instead of now getting a bunch of points, you don't satisfy any of the requirements and get any of those bonus points. So I really think this is more about doing things sequentially as opposed to doing them in parallel. And it's it's the way I started. And even though I only did one card a year, like I said, I mean, I was at 200,000 points by the end of my first year. And that was very easy to manage because I think a lot of us will move to a new credit card throughout our 
years. If you think about that, just taking on the one more, see how that feels. It ends up being a lot easier, I think, than a lot of people think. And in my case, when it was Chase, which is the first one that you connected me with, when I log in to pay my bill and it shows me my rewards, it has the link right under there to redeem those rewards. Now I could transfer those out, which I did to United, but if you click on that, it will take you to the Chase site where it has all of the things that you can redeem them for and it'll show you those points and you can filter by the number of points you have. And so they want to make it pretty easy for you, I think, in, in that case too. So it's a good way to just kind of get immersed and to see how that goes. Now, if you were to pick one card for most people that you think is a good place to start, what bank or financial institution do you think people should maybe look at or consider? The Chase Sapphire Preferred is typically the best starter card that most um, most travel blogs will suggest that you start with. The Chase Sapphire Preferred is one that works for individuals, so you don't need to have a business to open up that card. Um, usually, the bonus varies between 50 and 60,000 points. It does have an annual fee, but it's waived the first year. I think the annual fee is somewhere around $95 or $99. And that would be a great card to start out with because of the Chase program is flexible. Like we talked about before, you can transfer Chase points to other programs like United, Southwest. Um, there's actually a way to kind of do it to American um, through one of their partners, um, Hyatt. There's a bunch of other hotels within their own platform. They actually have their own platform where you can pretty much redeem points for a cash value at almost any hotel in the world. So it's a flexible program that you're guaranteed to be able to get something with. Um, it's not like, for example, if you were to open up an American Airlines card and you didn't want to fly American Airlines, well, those points are wasted then. You have to use them on American Airlines. Chase points you can use anywhere. So there's no risk that, that way. And then again, if you get a year down the road and you say, you know what, I know I got these these 50,000 points, but I'm just not that into it. You could just close the card and you don't even have to pay the annual fee. So there's no real risk. And the other nice thing about Chase Points too, and I don't recommend this, but if you didn't want to travel or, or maybe, you know, you're going through a time like we're going through right now with the economy being down and you need the money, you can actually cash out those travel points for cash. So if you have 50,000 points, that equates to $500. So you could just cash out $500 and use that to pay your mortgage. So I think that that's awesome. These are some awesome, awesome tips. Um, I am so grateful to you, Neil, for walking me through this a year or two ago, because like I said, it's not just the fact that maybe I can get that trip paid for, but it's allowed me to travel on some micro trips that I probably wouldn't have done in the past on my own because I would have paid out of pocket. But when you have that and you can get a good deal on redeeming those points or staying at a place that I wouldn't necessarily pay for out of pocket, then now all of a sudden I can stay at a place where I, you know, it would be hard for me to justify that kind of spend. It's, it's giving me a lot more opportunity. You know, I've gone to places and I've stayed at places that I probably would not have done, right? And so it's just a really different experience and it hasn't been any more work. I would say that maybe it's added four or five hours to my year of my traveling planning. But it, this is not something on a day-to-day -day or weekly or even a month-to-month -month basis that I'm looking at. In most cases, I'm just doing what I'm normally doing, spending money, seeing those points accumulate. And at, at the time I'm thinking about booking, I look and see what I've got. Uh, you mentioned that you have another travel hack and I wanted to ask you about that. What is the other travel hack that you wanna share? So these travel programs, 
hotels, airlines, things like that, they have reward programs as well. They have their own reward programs, right? So for example, I'm, I'm most familiar with Hyatt's because we stay at a lot of Hyatt's because they're, they're loyalty programs, right? No different than a gas station would have or a grocery store would have, you know? But a lot of these hotels and airlines have these, these loyalty programs where you can get additional free things for using them often. So for example, with Hyatt, if you stay a certain amount of nights, you reach different tier statuses where you get additional things like, like free lounge suite upgrades and additional free nights and additional redemptions on points. And, you know, American Airlines does the same thing too. If you go enough flights, I think you can get free upgrades and first you can fly. I'm sure you get enough, you use American Airlines enough, you can get first class whenever you want, you know, right? And so sometimes that's, that works well with the travel hacking because that can just provide you even more additional benefits, especially if you're somebody who travels often. So there's just all kinds of additional status levels with these reward programs. And if you find yourself liking one of these hotel chains or liking one of these um, airlines or you travel regularly for work, you know, why not? why not go on one of these loyalty programs and get a bunch of additional free benefits? I mean, the Hyatt one is, is really good. There's, there's so many free things that you can get with Hyatt, um, free nights, even just free point bonuses, um, free gift cards to Hyatt. There's a lot. The one that I, that I really like is that I think in one year, if you spend 20 nights in Hyatt, which we're definitely going to pretty much every year, they give you two free lounge accesses and that, each one of those lounge access alone, you can use that, redeem it for a vacation. So for example, let's say we would go to a Hyatt in Jamaica, a, a beautiful Hyatt in Jamaica. We could use just one of those lounge accesses and it would cover me and my whole family to be able to get free access to their VIP lounge, you know, free drink, free food, free everything for that entire stay. Awesome. And, and that didn't cost anything. That was just for staying 20 nights in Hyatt that year, you know? So all the programs have those kind of things. Yeah, no, it's another great tip. And sometimes those are just awesome discoveries when you start getting into this. So sometimes, you know, these little perks, even though they don't seem like a lot, are really convenient and just nice to have. And so, yeah, don't underestimate that. Upgrades really are another big one. They'll give you upgrades. Like they'll upgrade you to a suite or they'll upgrade you to the nicest room available, you know? And you're spending a few points on this room and all of a sudden you're staying in a suite that would cost $1,000 a night and you <laughs> right. didn't even pay for it. Yep. It's brilliant. Yeah. And I know we have talked before, so we could go down the rabbit hole here. You know, if, if this is interesting to people, you can go through these, um, machinations of where you tr transfer the points because they're giving bonus points, you know, they're converting them to higher points. And, you know, I know some people will do this between airlines and so you can really optimize, but I think, you know, this is a great primer for people who are saying, you know, Hey, it doesn't sound like it's worth it. You know, what do those points really entail? Don't I have to spend a lot of money? You know, I think you've helped to mystify this because you did for me because I just always thought it's just not worth it. You know, two cents a point or whatever the calculation is, it's just not going to work out to, uh, my favor. I'd rather take that as cash back or whatever. But when you brought the idea of the bonus points and the referral points and how to redeem them and what that means, and I did it without changing anything in my lifestyle. 
it was just, it was eye-opening and it was such a revelation and it has totally changed my travel planning, whether it's short trips, long trips, vacations, because it has been awesome. So I, I appreciate that, Neil, because you have just really taken <laughs> me and my family's vacation to a whole new level, which is really, really awesome. I also want to say here that, uh, as you mentioned, that the Chase cards, uh, the Chase Sapphire Preferred is a great card. You can uh, get that right away. And I'm going to put Neil's referral link in the description. So if you want to pick it up, it's not going to cost you anything. You can apply for it. And then if you meet that criteria, I think Neil will get some of those bonus points for meeting all those bonus criteria. So you'll be able to get a head start on it. It'll be a great way to thank Neil for spending some time with me to explain this. And, uh, you know, hopefully maybe you and I would be able to connect again and so you can share some more of these insights on all these things that you're learning here. So appreciate this sure. a lot. For sure. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. We will talk to you soon. This is the Peter Von Panda Podcast. A giant waste of time.